Hey, this is Seth Scruggs, co-host of Rewatch. We're very excited to announce that we are going to be premiering a short film called Five Minutes. It was directed by me, and it was produced and written by Zachary Vaughn. We shot it back in December, and we're getting ready to release it on August 28th at 6 p.m. It will be premiering on YouTube as a live premiere. Uh, you can find all the information on Instagram at MarkSpotsTheX Productions. Following the premiere of the film, we are going to be hosting a live Q&A at 6.15 uh, where we're going to talk about the film and you can come out and ask us questions and we'll be excited to answer them. August 28th at 6pm with a Q&A following at 6.15, the premiere of 5 Minutes, a short film by Seth Scruggs and Zachary Vaughn. Hello and welcome to Rewatch. My name is Seth Scruggs. I am joined by my friend and co-host, the ever-lovable Zach Vaughn. Hello. <laughs> uh, this is the show about movies we love and movies we haven't seen yet. Uh, basically, we watch a movie that one of us has seen and the other hasn't, and then we talk about it between you know for about half an hour or so. Uh, Sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit shorter. Yeah. Zach, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Last week, I prepared notes for the podcast and was really, I felt good. It felt like a turning point um, for me as in the show as like actually like preparing for the show, you know, and Mm -hmm. then I definitely did not do that this week. Well, guess what? Neither did I. <laughs> well, good. I guess that we'll just fly by the seat of our pants then. Yeah. Um, if that sounds worked, good to you. It's worked for us. I mean, it worked for us for what? 12 other episodes? Yeah. I think it'll work for at us le- for this At one. least. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, Zach, why don't you tell us what we watched? So we watched Apocalypse Now. It's a 1979 movie ri- uh, written. Uh, I Written and directed by uh, Francis Ford Coppola, um, not just written by him, but written and directed by him. Um, it's about, um, well, basically it's the novella, The Heart of Darkness, um, only where it takes place in Vietnam, and instead of finding a missionary doctor, they are killing a kind of loose cannon uh crazy cannon crazy i think yeah. might be the word that Cra- you're looking crazy for. off the rails officer yeah um, from the u.s military yeah uh so tell me before we jump into the movie i'm curious what your experience with heart of darkness was before you saw this if any um i i read i read the novel novella in high school and I really liked it there. The, my favorite quote in it is like the only quote anybody ever actually remembers from it. <laughs> um, except like hardcore fans. And that's when he gets to Dr. Livingston's camp and he says, Dr. Livingston, I presume. <laughs> um, I was a little bummed when that wasn't really in this, like as any kind of reference. <laughs> um, 
but I'm curious what your thoughts are seeing it the first time. And did you have any experience with The Heart of Darkness before this movie? Yeah, I mean, I read Heart of Darkness in high school and really liked it. It's It was really dark and creepy, which so much of what I read in high school is. And I don't know if that was just my high school experience, but I feel like I just read a bunch of stories in high school that were really, really dark and weird. <laughs> <laughs> Like most like early American literature, like is just so weird. Uh, Young Goodman Brown, have you read that? I don't think so. So it's Nathaniel Hawthorne, and uh, literally it's about a why. dude. It's about a dude who just like goes into the woods for devil worship. That's the that's the that's classic the story. American literature right there. R- classic. Uh, that was a tangent where it was like, oh yeah. So yeah, I had read Heart of Darkness in high school and kind of had a, I was familiar with it uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my first thoughts, which I think I texted you while I was watching it was, I wish I were watching it on a big screen. Mm-hmm. It yeah. felt like the kind of thing, there's some movies that feel like they need the time and the space that a big screen allows um that this movie really kind of almost begs for with the vistas and the silence and all of that i was more easily distracted alone in my room um than i think i would have been otherwise so i think that that would have been i think having seen it on a big screen would have been a much better experience for me um as far as the actual film like the story is great i i really liked it what what were your tell me about your thoughts the first time watching it i wasn't sure what i was in for going in um i knew very very little about it um and pretty much all i knew was that at the beginning there's like a napalm strike (laughs) and helicopters yeah and that's it and so i went in really not knowing what i was in for and this time going in i was able to just like soak in everything that was happening for sure um and appreciate the um I guess appreciate isn't the best word because it's not a pleasant thing to ingest. Um, like the, the environment isn't pleasant to ingest, but like appreciate the, uh, like the sheer, uh, I'm trying to think like the, the blatant guts of Kilgore Mm -hmm. who's like just standing there no helmet wearing his wearing his cavalry cavalry hat and just standing there looking around as bombs go off around him and then seeing the descent into desperation and kind of madness of everybody on the boat as they go further and further in yeah and then how just like they've these are vietnam soldiers who have already seen trauma especially Martin Sheen's character and then just seeing like he hidden leaving at the end and he's just 
wide-eyed, not blinking, and you can see the trauma on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just... it. I was able to have a more holistic view of the movie going through it all this time that I was, it was, there was a lot of shell shock the first time because I didn't know what I was get, what I was in for. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about a little bit, the movie as an adaptation first, uh, kind of before we get into a lot of it, because it's an interesting thing. The fact that this movie is an adaptation and uses the same general structure and really a lot of the same themes as the story heart of darkness but dropping it into a completely different time period in a completely different place totally changes the meaning not not even that it changes the meaning it just reiterates the meaning almost what what did you think about that kind of seeing it a second time knowing what was coming i just it's really it's really cool seeing how he took the same he took a story and put it in a different setting in a different time zone in a different context and in a way that isn't like cheesy, like they're like everybody's made uh, like a Romeo and Juliet put in modern day. Like he he took a story that hadn't been like beaten to death and like transcribed it into a. Uh, a more desperate, like even more desperate situation and built a story that shows the depravity and fear of men at war. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting that you know the adaptations of Shakespearean works into modern times. Because a lot of times that's just done as a way of freshening up the the material, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Romeo and Juliet in modern day, it doesn't do a lot as far as expounding on the themes, right? Mm-hmm. Mainly because that's a more love is like a more universal theme, I guess, than other things. Um but things like much ado about nothing plopping that into modern day like it doesn't do a whole lot doesn't doesn't really it doesn't give us new insight into the time period that we're in but taking the themes of desperation and loneliness and all of that that's really wrapped up in heart of darkness and then putting that into vietnam changes it a lot um because you're taking those same themes, but then immediately and directly connecting it to something that is very current in for the people who are making this film. And it it's using the material in a way that still suits the material, but also brings new life to it. And I think that was really effective. I think the fact that 
um, the hollow men, which is woven in to this story as well. T.S. Eliot's poem, which actually uses quotes and ideas from heart of darkness Mm -hmm. with, with it, the poem into this film, I think was a very, very good touch because it really, that tied in the themes of world war one. If I remember my college English classes correctly, <laughs> you're tying in these themes from World War One. You're tying in these themes from Vietnam, and now you're tying in these themes from colonialization, and which played a big part in Vietnam. And what is America mm-hmm. even doing there? And yeah. all of these things that kind of come together to really drive home the point, the anti-war point that the film is making. I mm-hmm. I think that was brilliant. The next thing, before we really jump into the filmmaking itself, that that's um, one part of it. But this film is legendary in a lot of ways. A lot of different ways. And not really for um, good reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyone who has listened to a couple episodes of this podcast will know uh, that I, Seth, really like film history. I find it fascinating. And Apocalypse Now probably has one of the most interesting histories of film in the 20th century, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of reasons. Although uh, Herzog has a lot of interesting stories about his films. There's a lot, <laughs> a lot that went into a lot of his stuff and a lot that mm-hmm. went poorly with a lot of his stuff. <laughs> but, mo- but most people don't know about Herzog movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm spe- yeah, speaking more in the mainstream of things Yeah, and to that kind of big budget idea. Mm-hmm. This came at a time, um, it kind of represents a little bit of a turning point. The new Hollywood movement was really just coming up. And that movement is what brought us Scorsese. It brought us Spielberg, De Palma, uh, George Lucas with American Graffiti and later Star Wars and Francis Ford Coppola, who made The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two just right around the same time as this, right? Or am I crazy? Uh, Godfather was, I think, yeah, just a couple years after this. Yeah. I'm double-checking that on IMDb before I... No, Godfather was... Uh, oh, Godfather was before 1972. This. So, just before... Um, just a couple years... So, Godfather and Godfather Part 2, which are the only... The Godfather Part 2 one best picture as a sequel which is pretty sure hasn't even happened again so that's a big deal and he decides to follow it up by making his war epic and then it takes him forever to do it Mm -hmm. basically uh the film was shot so 1974 is godfather part two And then it takes him another five years to really make Apocalypse Now. They shot in 1976 and then 
finished the film was released in 1979 and it's kind of nuts like what happened because they go to the philippines to make this movie martin sheen is an alcoholic at the time uh the opening there's an opening sequence in which martin sheen literally got drunk and then told the told the cameras to roll and he just worked out some personal problems and that ended up in the film and there's all this stuff happening martin sheen has a heart attack they're trekking through the jungle making a movie on film an epic movie on film more importantly and everything is just going haywire and then it took another three years to really edit the film because all of the footage was a mess and it really resulted in these new hollywood directors who were given tons of money and tons of equipment and basically free reign to do whatever they wanted it resulted in that kind of that power being stripped away a little bit and Mm -hmm. those kinds of directors not being trusted as long as they weren't making huge hollywood blockbusters um scorsese kind of scraped by a little bit um spielberg was making crowd pleasers from the beginning but but really the these like horror stories that came out of this film production really uprooted that whole movement in a way mm-hmm. yeah so it, this is an interesting film and in that it's an interesting place in film history it's an just an interesting film as a whole um yeah and this kind of represents kind of that closing decade we talked about bonnie and clyde did we talk about bonnie and clyde on this podcast yeah um I, we didn't talk about it we just referenced it or did we watch we referenced it, it. yeah we we, we referenced, referenced it on that's butch right. cassidy that's right um so that film was 1969 67 67ish i think and so with that kind of ushered in this new hollywood era as it's known and really apocalypse now kind of brings a little bit of a close to that free reign of the director in the 70s mm-hmm. um so yeah that's just some interesting context for the film that we're going to talk about um yeah so what zach would you say is your favorite element of this film I was ready for you to say favorite lots of things. I wasn't quite ready for favorite element. Uh, you can uh, you can touch on your favorite part of the film. I was just trying to so, sound fancy. Well, no, no, but I, I I liked the use of silence. Um, that is so powerful in so many ways. I wasn't trying to think of what to say. I was taking a dramatic pause. Um. <laughs> I I think silence is so underused mm-hmm. in a lot of lower quality uh, films and TV um, because, like, 
it helps you, the audience, feel what the character is feeling. And it helps the actors feel what the character is feeling because they can take a minute, process, and then be like, and then deliver the line genuinely. Not like as a crutch, but like really feel what they're saying and what's going on and everything, the scenario, their environment, and live what's going on while the camera's rolling. Um, and so much of this is about, so much of this movie is about trauma and desperation that, like, we are shocked and the characters are just as shocked as we are. Um, and when there's silence in the jungle, it's terrifying because you don't know if nothing's going to happen or if it's quiet because somebody is hiding and holding their breath ready to shoot you down. Yeah, I think that's a that's that is a great element of this film. Is and it and it helps it feel more natural, I think. And like you're really there. There I I like talky movies. I mean, we talked about Steve Jobs last week, which is Aaron Sorkin, which is just very 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 talky. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. And I think there's a time and a place for that. You know, Wes Anderson's rapid fire dialogue, there's a time and a place for that. But if you want to feel and you want to process, typically what you need is silence. And if your characters don't have that, then the audience doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's an excellent point. I on In that same vein, part of what I really noticed about the film is its use of sound design. In that it is very very natural sound it is with an asterisk yeah what is your what is that asterisk (laughs) a lot of the dialogue had to be replaced in post because (laughs) of the natural sound (laughs) true that they recorded that is true um i.e helicopters boats explosions gunshots yeah yeah but but what i mean with like natural sound is that it it a lot of times in film, because we do have the freedom to do so, we'll isolate just the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And the, the other sounds will fade into the background. But with this film, the the sound, there's always a little, that cricket in the background, or that helicopter mm-hmm. in the distance, or gunfire, or whatever which allows for silence you know in the sense that no one is speaking and no character is pushing the story along at the moment but also allows for you to feel like you're actually there Mm -hmm. i've talked about this before i love immersive movie experiences i love films that really do their best to put you in the um shoes of the character Mm -hmm. and this film did that for me in a lot of ways, primarily because of the sound design that that sound is built. The world is built through that sound. And I think that's just it's a brilliant, brilliant move on the filmmaker's part. 
on the note of, of re-recording dialogue there um just a funny little thing because we didn't even touch on this when i talked about the film history marlon brando was kind of an egomaniac on the set of this film and i mean just this film <laughs> i guess when you redefine acting it just kind of goes to your head um but he he like came in and we was supposed to lose 30 pounds but gained 50 he um was supposed to like have all those lines memorized and did not know a single one of them uh, yeah it was just a mess but one of the one of the things about him being brando was that he said that he needed to have uh he wanted the character's name changed right he wanted he didn't want his character to be named kurtz so they renamed him in the script and everyone said his name differently and then brando went and read heart of darkness and loved it and insisted that his character's name be changed back so they had to <laughs> re-record all the dialogue so that every time they referred it was like say captain lee or something like that captain lee lee i forget what it was called and he insisted that the, everyone refer to him as kurtz so they had to go re-record all the dialogue so that the character said kurtz instead of whatever the other name was yeah this movie was insane <laughs> Yeah. The making of this movie was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think it's interesting how this movie toes, like, it goes back and forth on both sides of, like, Francis Ford Coppola being able to do kind of whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. And also having a really hard time doing whatever he wanted. Because, <laughs> like, he shot in the Philippines in the mid-70s. Yeah. I mean, that's, so, not, that's like, not an easy environment to Yeah, shoot. and, like, all of the people he said, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, said, all right, here's the key to doing that. Don't do that. <laughs> and he did it anyway. And then, so, like, you have all of the natural environmental challenges over there. Um, it was supposed to take six months, weeks? Something like that, yeah. It was supposed to either take six months or six weeks to shoot, and it took 16 months to shoot. And then three years in editing. But all of that is, all of that is to say, like, the, the challenges, some of the challenges that he faced. But also, the, this was all a seg, not a segue, lead up to say, to point out, there is a scene in the movie where there is a sacrificial killing <laughs> of a water buffalo in which they actually killed a water buffalo. <laughs> and so that is astounding to me because, like, the, the reason they could do it as, as, like, the reason the humane foundation d couldn't stop them is because they were in the philippines when it happened yeah but still like that part is always hard that that part was hard for me to watch the first time because i i had read that part before that scene came up mm -hmm. and it's it was really hard for me to watch this time because 
it's just hard knowing it's real and seeing it happen mm-hmm. and being and th- having to think about the fact that somebody thought this was a good idea yeah yeah it's i mean it's crazy it's it it's kind of like the epitome of we could so we did in a lot of ways and and the movie is filled with voiceover um and narration mm -hmm. and the main reason for that is that after kind of getting back and going through the footage that they shot over however long they shot they realized that they didn't have an like there wasn't a clear narrative to the film so they had to do something to make it clear um which i have to say is a little surprising to me because i think that is really really sad like <laughs> you spend you spend 10 months more shooting than you were planning and maybe I don't think it was pro. It probably wasn't like sixteen months straight shooting. Like I, I no, think that was I mean, because of delays. Well, Martin Sheen was um, had a heart attack and was out yeah, for a good portion of it. Yeah. Um. But even then, like, you shoot two hundred hours of footage. Mm -hmm. What the heck were you doing? If you take that much time, get that much footage, and don't have. A, like don't have a clear enough narrative or can't draw a clear enough narrative out of that that you have to add uh voiceover granted voiceover works voiceover works really well for it yeah um, i was gonna and add it that did too. help and it did make the movie really really good I, but i think like, i think that in this film i'm not always a fan of voiceover but i think in this film it really does add to it a lot because you get more of a sense of the loneliness of this character that the only voice that he's really hearing is the voice in his head sorry i that was just tangential but i do think that's an no, important yeah. element of the film yeah i agree yeah it's i don't understand that at all i don't i don't understand how that happens i don't understand why that happened like i just it doesn't make sense to me in this like i've done that i've I've done that on some of my projects where <laughs> I start shooting something and I'm like, okay, I don't know where I'm going with this. I need to figure something out now, mm -hmm. but I haven't invested millions and millions of dollars into it. Mm -hmm. Other people haven't invested millions and millions of dollars into it. And I'm not Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> well, and what's interesting to me is that there is a very direct beginning and end to this story mm -hmm. right like yeah the the character gets his mission and then he completes the mission like that's the that's the arc of the film really i mean there's a lot yeah. more to it but you know emotionally and but narratively speaking it's a it's literally it's a straight line literally a straight line mm -hmm. um so to get back and then not have not know what your narrative is is a little confusing to me yeah and also like there's a very clear character arc too mm -hmm. um and i'm gonna use that as one of the smoothest segues i'll ever have in my life um to talk about like 
the acting and the characters in it. Go for it. Um, because you see at the beginning, Martin Sheen's character is experiencing a lot of anxiety over the fact that he finished his tour, went back home, and he he says when i was oh, when i was in the jungle i could only think about being out of the jungle and then when i was out of the jungle i all i could think of was going back and then at the end of the movie having got what he wanted so badly you can see yeah i really didn't want this <laughs> yeah what definitely a mistake Yeah, I I think, so, I have a lot of past experience with Martin Sheen as an actor because I love The West Wing. And it's kind of harrowing to see him in this film because the role is so different and so dramatically different from anything I had seen him in. And it, it's... It, adds a whole level to it right like i i've talked a lot on here about the meta textual element of a film which is really Mm -hmm. just like what are the things that we experience outside of a film that affect how we see the film itself and i think Mm -hmm. that's a major thing that the martin sheen that i've has been in kind of my cultural consciousness for the last, I don't know. When did, when did amazing Spider-Man come out? I don't know. 20, 2012, the Andrew Garfield one, 2012, uh, something like that. 2014. So. Yeah. I, I say that cause Martin Sheen was uncle Ben in that film. And my experience kind of begins there with him. So for like the last 10 ish years my consciousness of martin sheen is like the kind grandfather (laughs) which he's definitely not in this movie and so i i it adds a whole other level to it it's hard to explain i hope that makes sense Mm -hmm. no yeah like um when uh, like when Disney stars graduate from mm-hmm. Disney TV movies and then do this like hardcore action, like drug movie, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh wow, I was watching you when I was growing up, and it was on TVG shows, <laughs> and now you're saying all of these things and doing a lot of things to a lot of people. <laughs> like it just, it's a shift you have to shift your mind because you saw them as this innocent mm-hmm. person yeah. because they were in innocent media. And now like, and that's not to say one is necessarily better than the other or more legitimate than the other, but you have to shift your mindset to be like, all right, this is not, this is not uh Troy from high school musical. This is, I have, I don't know if I've seen. Wow, this is Zac Efron in another movie where <laughs> Zac Efron's he's... traveling the world and eating weird yeah. food. Yeah. You have you not seen Zac Efron in anything else? I don't know. I don't think I have. Wow, that's sad. 
I thought you were a huge fan of Neighbors. The I haven't seen Neighbors. I I was joking. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um man, I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface of Apocalypse now. Yeah. Um, there's, there's just there's so oh, many levels gosh. to it. Uh, um, do you want to let's talk about Brando's performance a little bit? Did okay, did yeah. you have any experience with Brando before this film? Ah, man, I hate saying this. No, I haven't. I didn't either. Um, okay. I have yet to see The that Godfather. Makes me feel a little better. Um, that that one's just on my list. Just mm-hmm. I think as it is perpetually like on everyone's. Yeah, probably I should see this movie list. Even if they've already seen it. <laughs> Even if they've already seen it. Um, I liked his performance in this film. It felt removed a lot, mm-hmm. as Kurtz kind of is in Heart of Darkness as well. Yeah. Um, so it felt, it feels a little weird. Like, um, Kurtz is a MacGuffin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know, a MacGuffin is the thing that a character is chasing after that actually, that is the driving force of the story, but really ultimately has no other purpose in the story. In other words, it's the secret folder that everyone wants and everyone's looking for it. It's not really a big deal if they get it or not. That doesn't really matter. It matters the journey the character goes on while they try to find it. Um, so all that to say, Martin Sheen's character, Willard, is going after Kurtz. He needs Kurtz. He wants Kurtz. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter if he gets Kurtz or not. It doesn't matter if he completes his mission because the point of his character is what he learns on the way to Kurtz. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not It's not about killing Kurtz. It's about realizing that, like, he, he wanted back in the jungle mm-hmm. when the jungle was the worst place he could possibly go. I mean, it's it's about the horrors of war at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that this performance where Brando is kind of the king on a throne, essentially. Yeah. Really, he his character isn't a huge deal. Um, mm-hmm. And really doesn't... Im- like, he is an actual character and in his on-screen time doesn't impact Willard very much at all. Right. Um, it's more the idea of Kurtz that really impacts Willard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I, I enjoyed his performance. He is a great actor. He is a, he is a phenomenal actor. Um, this movie didn't give him as much to work with. I didn't think, but he does, he does a mm-hmm. good job. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I thought was interesting um, and adds a little bit more power to the character of Lawrence Fishburne's character mm-hmm. um, is the fact that Lawrence Fishburne uh, was 14 mm-hmm. when he played Mr. Clean mm-hmm. and 
his character is 17. Yeah. Um, but how the age of the character doesn't really matter. Like the specific age of the character doesn't yeah. really matter. Um, because the reason, uh, the reason it even comes up is because Martin Sheen asks how old he is basically saying you are too young to be out here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that is emphasized knowing that he was actually 14 when all of this was happening. Mm-hmm. And so seeing that and seeing this even younger than the character he's portraying person going through all this, doing all the stuff that he's doing, uh, and then seeing him die while listening to a tape from his grandmother. Sounds right. Right? I think his grandmother um, is just heartbreaking because you have this like not even out of high school guy who went to the war i mean i guess in in universe just out of high school guy mm-hmm. who went over and got killed on what almost was a failed mission and it's just really heartbreaking and sobering to think about how many 17 18 and even like not even the fresh out of high school guys who died for a war that shouldn't have even happened in the first place mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's it's the film's thesis if you want to call it that is is basically war is awful and we shouldn't do it Mm -hmm. um to really just like make make it stupid um yeah that that's what it is and yeah it is so incredibly effective um at portraying the horrors of war and it's horrors of war that were really really happening at that time Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting to me how the production really mirrored um, mirrored those horrors in a lot of ways as well. I think that'll wrap us up for our discussion of Apocalypse Now. Unless you have anything that you really would just want to add to the discussion. I probably do, but I can't I think, can't think <laughs> of anything right now. Well, there's so much to cover. There, there is. I, I feel like we, we just scratched the surface on it. But uh, that'll wrap us up for now. Um, Zach, what would you rate this movie? And would you watch it again? Um, I gave it a 5 out of 5. Um, because it's one of the best war movies ever made. Um, and I probably will. It's heavy, so probably not, like first on my list Mm -hmm. but i'd watch it again i'd watch it again with little with little uh little pressing yeah yeah i i gave it a four and a half i i really i need to see it again i think i feel like it's a film that rewards multiple viewing um i just i feel like it's something that i need to experience again and experience in a more maybe in a more proper environment um for the for the film uh, yeah. Do you have anything that you want to uh, recommend for us this week? 
I'm going to recommend... Yeah, I was I was thinking of changing it, but uh, I'm going to recommend Rocky. Okay. Um, it's another classic, um, very different type of movie, very different uh, quality level movie. Um, it's fun. Like, it's good. It's fun. There's a lot of really cool training montages and a lot of cool fights. Um yeah, Rocky. Rocky, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> Wait, did you just watch it for the first time recently? Yes. I'd seen four. I'd seen Rocky four several years ago, but I saw Rocky one just a, a week or so ago. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, I watched it fairly recently, the first time in a while. All right. Well, I'm going to recommend All the President's Men. Um, I just watched it pretty recently as well. It's another 70s film about it this one is about the nixon administration and yeah man i i apparently just really like newspaper movies <laughs> i think they're great uh spot spotlight and the post are also i those are more recent but i loved both of those i don't even i don't even know why like i can't tell you why i like them as much as i've I heard do. good things about spotlight i haven't heard much about the post um it's it's enjoyable it's a spielberg film and spielberg rarely okay. It's Spielberg starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. So, like, the the bar is high, but also pretty easy to clear. Like, if you are if you just want, like, a decent film, you've cleared it immediately. Um, and that okay. has some interesting uh, contextual elements to it, too. But that's not for the... We'll talk about that at another time. Uh, but, yeah, uh, All the President's Men, it's written by William Goldman and... Uh, stars <gasps> that's that means it's good yeah Man, stars robert redford by, and dustin written Hoffman. by goldman wow yeah. yeah it's a good time um yeah. i highly recommend it it's about the um watergate scandal because that's just you know a nice afternoon viewing i guess you know uh, nice family friendly fun yeah for sure um next week we will be watching and discussing the movie vice it was uh directed by adam mckay stars christian bale and it's about uh dick cheney because we're just gonna get real political we're covering vietnam and dick cheney in back-to-back weeks why not um so yeah we'll be back next week to discuss vice um in all its glory zach I'll see you later. All right. I'll see you.